Uh, I, I'm just preaching a couple of a couple of sermons here about prayer. I preached last week about prayer, uh, the power that shapes the world. We believe that prayer is is absolutely vital. It's essential to the Christian life. You can't really live a Christian life without prayer. And we actually operate on the assumption that nothing of kingdom value actually even happens outside of prayer. That it takes prayer for God's kingdom to be at work in the world because God's people have to come into alignment with him. So if you want to, I'm going to read a verse actually that I read last week as well, James 5, 16. And, and we'll just go from there. But if you have your notes there, you can, you can jump in there with me. i got a few little things I'll share with you about prayer. Uh, but, but James 5, 16, it says this. It says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. God, I thank you for, for your spirit, God, that is always speaking to us and always drawing us deeper. God, always calling us to, to, to see you more clearly, Lord, and to, to come into alignment with your will and your desire and with your kingdom, Lord, so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, this morning we just ask your spirit to, to bring your word to life in our hearts, God, that we would be transformed by it, Lord Jesus. And, God, that I, I pray that you would bring healing and freedom in every heart this morning by your word. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So, so another, another translation of this verse that I just read was the, is, is it talks about energy. He actually uses the word energeo in there in, in the Greek. And he says, so another translation would be the energized prayer of a righteous person has great power and energizes wonderful results. So last week we talked about how that, listen, God would love to do a whole lot of things. When we look at the world, we shouldn't look at the world and say, well, everything that's happening is God's will. No, because God's will, Jesus taught us, is on earth as it is in heaven, and we ought to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to the degree that we begin to see the earth lining up with the kingdom of heaven and with Jesus Christ who is, the, who is God and who is the will of God in flesh, to the degree that the world around us begins to line up with that, that's when we see God's will being done. That's when we see us walking out God's will. And so Jesus taught us to pray because here's here's the truth there's a lot of things that God would love to do he wants to he wants to see so many people set free from drugs he wants to see so many people healed and delivered he wants to see our community saved and walking in the will of God the scripture says that God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he, he's willing and desiring that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth but here's the issue the issue at hand is that God has covenanted with himself that there are some things that he will not do unless his bride the church comes into agreement and alignment with his will and they begin to pray on earth as it is in heaven. 
And see, the problem is, is that we set back a lot of times and we just say, well, you know, God's will is going to be done. Que sarah, sarah, what will be, what will be, will be. And God is saying, no, I'm calling you deeper because I need to reveal to you my will for your life and for the lives of the people around you. And you need to come into agreement with it and begin to pray the prayers that I'm putting in your heart because when you pray a powerful and a passionate prayer, it releases kingdom energy into the earth around you. And when you hold back your prayers, there is a kingdom energy that you only have the power to release that will never be released in the world. There are people that God places on your heart and your heart alone to pray for that honestly, they may or may not be saved depending upon whether or not you're interceding for them. Whether or not you're praying for them. And I know that seems like such a burden, but God in his, in his beautiful brilliance has decided, I'm going to call a church a bride to myself, and that bride, I'm going to train them how they're going to rule and reign with me for eternity. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my will with them, and then they're going to pray it out and demonstrate it in the earth. Amen? So listen, that was what we talked about last week. But the first thing, I, I, I just really, this is kind of a scattered. When I was putting this message together, I'm like, Lord, I don't know if this is going to tie together. And I'm just really wanting to share some principles with you about prayer that I know are essential to real good kingdom prayer. And so the first one, when we talk about an essential aspect of kingdom prayer in your notes, is one, this is really simple, but it's hard for us too at the same time, is be honest with God. Be honest with God. See, listen, at the core of our being, we were created in the image of God. And at the core of our being, our deepest desire is to know and to be fully known and know that when I am fully known, that I'm still loved. And see, this is why marriage is such a wonderful thing if it's done correctly because you're able to share your heart, your warts, every nasty thing about you with another person and that person actually ends up loving you in spite of the fact that you're an absolute mess. Amen? That's if marriage works well, right? But the problem is, and this, but this is what's supposed to happen in all of our relationships. We're made in the image of the triune God and we want a loving relationship. But see, at the essence of all of these relationships is communication, right? But here's the problem. We want this relationship where we're able to communicate. And look, I'm able to share my real self with you. I'm not holding anything back. I want to share with you what my faults, my struggles, what I'm dealing with, my, my, my doubts, my fears, everything that I'm worrying about, everything that I'm struggling with. I want to be able to share that with you and you share that with me and us still be able to love one another. That I can be totally honest about everything. See, that's, that's what we desire deep down, but sometimes we're afraid to be honest because we're afraid of what people will think about us. And this is where re religion actually gets created. See, what keeps us from being honest with one another in relationship is, is a little problem called sin. And it happened in the very beginning. God, listen, God and Adam... Humanity, they were in perfect relationship, in, in, in perfect communication and oneness. And as they were in perfect relationship with the Father, they reflected the glory of God. They were clothed with the glory of God. They didn't even have to wear clothes because the glory of God clothed them. And when they sinned, immediately the first thing that entered into their heart when they sinned was shame. And this shame caused them to hide and cover themselves with fig leaves... And God comes looking for them and said, what, what are you doing hiding like this? Where, where, where are you? What's going on here? And he said, well, we heard you coming. We, we heard you and we fled from your presence 
Because we knew that we were naked and we were ashamed. Now see, here's the thing. When sin enters in, when pain and abuse and all of these things enter in, we, we have this shame, we have this embarrassment, we have this mess, and whether we like it or not, it makes us want to hide. But what's even worse than that is it makes us become religious people. And what I mean by that is we've got this on the inside. If we look at every one of our hearts on the inside, we got this absolute mess going on. Amen. Anybody want to amen me this morning? We got this absolute mess going on on the inside of us. But what church people and religious people do a good job of is they create this false self. I hide my true self and I put forth my best self. And my best self is confident. My best self is secure. My best self is bold. My best self doesn't sin. My best self doesn't think any evil thoughts. Because I don't want you seeing the real me. And I create a false self. And then so in my relationships with you, See, that's the thing. This is the demonic irony of it all. Is that I have a difficult time, every human being has a difficult time entering into deep, meaningful relationships. Firstly, because they know that they're a mess and they're afraid to put their self out there because they're afraid that if I put myself out there, this person will reject me. But the demonic irony of it is that we don't put our real self out there, we put our false self out there, and then the person who loves us or affirms us is not affirming or loving the real us, they're affirming and loving the false us. And then what happens with that is now our relationships are all false. And even in, even in church, this is, this, is what, this is kind of what I love about our church, because our church is a mess. Amen? Right? People are crazy. We're all, I'm crazy. Like we have conversations sometimes and we'll get in little, little skirmishes and sometimes we'll argue. But here's what I want you to understand is that our world right now does not like authenticity. Our world loves to be plastic, loves to be fake, never wants to be real. And actually our world gravitates toward being fake and not real. Now here, the, the truth is, is that authenticity gets messy. If I'm going to be real with you and you're going to be real with me, some stuff is going to come up. There's going to be some faults, but that's the beauty of the kingdom of God is that we get to walk in forgiveness, we get to walk in love, we get to overlook trespasses, and we get to be restored and healed. But see, you cannot be healed if you don't bring these things into the light, if you're not honest with yourself. But see, what is, what is the worst thing about this is we create this false self and we try, we try to keep people from getting in. And then in creating this false self, we're actually never entering into any meaningful relationships. And the same thing happens with our relationship with God. That I'm afraid to bring the real self before God. I'm not honest with you. And this is where you get into people praying prayers and people are praying prayers where they're like, you know, you you notice it in their tone of voice when they pray. Oh, Father, thou that inhabitest the heavens. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you don't talk like that anywhere else except with God. Why? Because you've created a false church self. And you bring your church self into the presence of God when God's saying, I don't want your religious church self. I want the real you. I want to know, I already know about the mess. I want to get into the middle of it. I want you to be open. I want you to be honest with me. And here's one of the biggest issues that we struggle with, especially in seeing deep transformation in our lives, is that we cannot open up and be honest and real with God. And the second thing, the second point is this. 
that we have all these wounds in our heart and we cover. I see this happen all the time when I'm counseling with people. People are wounded. They're abused. They've been hurt by somebody that molested them or hurt them or abused them when they were young. They've been through verbal abuse. They've experienced rejection or abandonment. And there's this pain that has come into their life at a young age. Sometimes it even happens because you've went to a church before and you got hurt at that church, right? And, and, and then all of a sudden, that wound creates this kind of thing where we don't really want to deal with it. We don't want to bring it out into the open. And so what we do a really good job of is when we're wounded is we just cover it up. We just stuff it deep down in the inner recesses of darkness and cover it up. But here's the second point. The second point is a wound that is concealed is a wound that can never be healed. And that's a good point. Y'all didn't shout or nothing. But that's a good point because I promise you, I've seen people get delivered and set free, but they do not get delivered and set free until they bring those wounds into the light without fail. People who are suffering with drug addiction, often the root of it is not that they just have a craving for it. The problem is, is that they've had a wound for so long that they've been stuffing deep down in the closet, and in order to numb that wound from hurting them, they end up using drugs, drugs to try to push it down even further. And if you can heal them of that wound and you can allow God to minister to that wound, well, then their need, for, and their, their need and their desire for drugs is gone because he's working inner healing on the inside of them. This is what happens so often. So a wound that is concealed is a wound that can never be healed. And a lot of people will argue and say to me when we start to talk to them about the past, well, you know, well, there's no point in bringing up the past. We don't need to bring up the past. I mean, that, let's, let's just let that be gone. Let that, but here's what I'm saying is that if you are operating out of a place of bitterness and out of a place of unforgiveness... If you're feeling disconnected from God, if you're having struggle, a struggle opening up relationally with people and even more so relationally with God, you probably got something in there that needs to be brought into the light and needs to be healed. I've had to go through it. I continue to have to go through it. And the Lord has taught me, son, you got a little something hiding out in the closet back there. Yeah, open that door up and let that thing out so I can deal with it. Because you got a monster in that closet and I'm going to have to put it to death. And that, that's the love of God speaking to me about these things. See, I want you to understand that Satan is called the prince of darkness. And the reason he's called the prince of darkness is because he needs dark, darkness to operate. And to the degree that you keep your stuff locked up inside in the dark is to the degree that he will keep you in bondage. And to the degree that you're able to bring things out into the light and begin to walk in the light is the degree that you will begin to experience healing and freedom. See, this scripture that we read in the beginning, it says, confess your faults one to another and then pray for one another that you may be healed. The first part is confession. A lot of people say, well, you know, you don't even have to confess anymore. It's not about having to confess. The, the idea is not, listen, if you don't confess every single sin, well, then that sin's not covered by the blood. You're going to hell. That, that's, that's ridiculous, first of all. But because you can't confess all of your sins. If you can confess all of your sins, you have got a talent that I don't know about. You know what I'm saying? Because if I'm going to confess, I, I mean, well, there's a billion of them. How could I pop? I can't. I can confess the ones that I know about. But what God is saying here, he's not saying, no, if you don't confess it all, I'm legalistic. And if you don't confess it all, you're going to hell. Now, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I know the condition of your heart. And I know that if you don't open up to me and open up to others, you'll never be able to, to, to obey the first two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and love your neighbor as yourself. You're never going to be able to do that because your heart is locked off. You've built walls because on the inside you've got wounds and you've got problems and you've got faults and you've got struggles that you've never been able to lay out. And because you've not brought into the light, I've not been able to heal it. And until you open up and begin to bring this before somebody. See, I have about, I have about one or two people in my life that I know I can go to and I can say, look, I've been dealing with this. I've been struggling with this. This is how I've been feeling. And when I start to feel that stuff come up, I share that stuff with them. And they know my nasty stuff. You know what I'm saying? They don't come to church here either, right? <laughs> like, oh, I know Clay too good. We ain't going to church down there, honey. We <laughs> but here's the truth. Pastors aren't perfect. Worship leaders aren't perfect. We're, we, we minister from our brokenness. We minister from the fact that we're just like you. We have got messed up lives and we need Jesus to heal us and restore us and change us and make us new and do something in our lives. Otherwise, we're going to be a mess for the rest of our lives. But Jesus in his love says, no, I need you to bring that out into the open so I can begin to come in and heal that. But see, when that begins to take place in our relationship with God, prayer becomes a formal religious activity rather than a real relationship. And people say, people say all the time, well, I just don't know how to pray. You know, I don't know what's right to pray. Do you know how to have a conversation with another human being? Well, then you know how to pray. Because God wants more than anything the authentic, the real, the honest, the true you. And there is no right or wrong way to pray. You know, I love, I love different prayers that are in the Bible, and I, I always use the Bible to inform my prayer. But at the end of the day, there's times when I just feel a certain way. And when I want to be real, I always want to come to God with God, this is the real me. This is how I feel right now. I know that this is what your word says, and I'm going to confess your word, and I'm going to believe your word, and I'm going to pray your word, but right now I feel this way. Right now I'm mad. Right now I'm a little bit upset. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on in this situation. I wish that would just change. You know, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm being honest with God. But every time that I'm able to be honest with God and I open up with God, that's where God meets me. And he says, because you're being honest with me and you're being real with me, I'm going to come, I'm going to be real with you. And it meets us in relationship. And look, and in that place, real relationship begins, real exchange begins, real communion begins, and you give your life. This is why, this is literally why Jesus said, there are going to be many that come to me on that day of judgment, and, and he's going to say, depart from me because I never actually knew you, right? I never knew you. You never opened your heart to me to a degree where you revealed the real you to me, and I was able to reveal the real me to you. And see, that's the place where he's bringing. See, God wants that real authentic relationship. Now listen, Job... Job is a very interesting character. And here's another thing I want you to know. If you read in the Bible, like if you read through Psalms, y'all ever even read, read any of the Psalms? If you read some, some, the Psalms are awesome. But sometimes that dude is in there praying prayers that are unbelievable. He's like, Lord, I have hated them with a perfect hatred. I'm like, Dag, I don't know if we should be praying that one or not, Lord. When I, when I first read stuff like that in the Bible, I was like, is this right? Is, it, is this right? The Lord said, love your enemies over here, and it's contradicting himself. He's saying he hated him with a perfect hatred. And it's just like the Holy Spirit said to me one day. He said, it's not saying that that's the right way to pray. He was being honest. He was being real. And when you read through the Psalms, you start to align your heart, and you say, that's how I feel. I hate these people. I hate them. 
You know, and, and you start to align yourself with it. But, but as he's releasing his feelings to God, all of a sudden God meets him there. And he's like, oh, I did hate him, but I see that God, God, God's got a higher way than me. He loves them. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden this change starts happening because he's being honest with God. That's why God said that David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that he was perfect. Lord knows he wasn't perfect. He was honest. He was real with God. Now listen, in the book of Job, we see Job. Job's a crazy book. You know, there's like this cosmic battle that happens between God and Satan. And then all of a sudden Satan comes in and he takes Job's family, kills all of his children. You know, all of his goods are lost. Every, everything is gone in a moment of time. And Job starts out, he starts out really good. He starts out real pious. You know, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and, and I'm, that's how I picture it. I picture it like he knows the right thing to say in the beginning. But then all of a sudden you begin to get in the book of Job. And all of a sudden what you'll really notice if you really read the book is all of a sudden the pain starts to gnaw at him. It starts to get down deep into his soul. It starts to aggravate him a little bit. And then his friends come in alongside of him, and they're not helping stuff any. And they're, they're, they're saying their ideas about God and how God is. And Je- let me just read a few verses to you about what Job says about God. Listen to this. He says, Job 9 says, Therefore I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. Notice, innocent people are dying, Job says, and God's up there just laughing at them. <laughs> this, is what, this is what Job is saying, okay? He says, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? He's saying God just covers the faces of the judges. There's no justice in the earth, and God's doing it. See, he's beginning to believe, and all of these people are believing that God is this big angry puppeteer. And that God's ways are just higher than our ways, but he's angry and he's just causing all these things to happen. Job 16, 9, he says, God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? He's saying, what are we even going to gain by praying to him if this is how things are? This is, y'all like this? I mean, he's just being honest, isn't he? This is how he feels. Then he says, the dying groan in the city and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God, God charges no one with wrong. He just lets the evil go on and do it. But you, and then he says, but you have become cruel to me, God. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. And then if I, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Now let me ask you all something. Do you think anything that Job said right then was, was right, it was correct about God? Anybody? It's not. He's speaking things that are, that are not correct concerning who God is in the person of God. But he's confused. Now here's what is the most interesting thing is that finally, all of a sudden, God shows up on the scene and he refutes everybody. He basically just said, look, Job, you're wrong. Eliphaz, you're wrong. Hey, all you guys are wrong. You've missed it. You, you've spoken and you've missed it all. But here's what he says in, in, in chapter 42, verse 7. And this is after Job finally begins to see. See, he, God refutes everybody. And, and God shows up and he says, God goes two chapters saying, here's what you don't understand. You don't understand all of creation. You don't understand how I've set things in order. You don't understand why evil happens because what's going on in the earth is different than the way you think about how I should be. 
There are things that, hap- that are happening because there's a spiritual warfare going on. And then he spends the, the next two chapters talking about literally how the ancient people would speak about Satan. Because he says, Le- Leviathan and Behemoth, these two monsters, they're ancient monsters. And what he's saying is there's spiritual warfare going on and you don't understand how things have been created. You just don't know. And he's saying, but what you can know if you will seek me is you can know my character. And God gets even better because in the new covenant we know his character even more because his character is fully, completely, and absolutely revealed on the cross. That Jesus Christ came and saw us in the midst of our pain and darkness and took our pain and darkness, lived in the middle of our pain and darkness and said, I took all of it, I'm dying for it. I've not only died for it, but I'm entering into it with you. And that's how much I love you. And this is the character of God. God is not far out there just causing bad things to happen. God came to heal us from the bad things that do happen. That's the character of God. So he shows up, but Job ends up saying, look, Lord, I'd only really heard of you by the ears, I realize now. He said, but now my eyes see you. He says, I uttered things that I did not understand, and now I repent in dust and ashes. And then God says, put that verse up there, Job 42, 7. It says, then the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. I'd hate for the Lord to say that to me and my two friends. He says, for you have not spoken of me what is right. Now, I want you to think about this, because did Job speak about what God, what was right? No, he said some messed up stuff too. But here's what God is saying. That word right, it's kun in Hebrew. It means to align what you are saying with your heart. And what he's saying is, I'm mad at you because you didn't do what Job did. You just came up with a bunch of theological religious answers. But Job was honest with me and Job shared his heart with me. He was open and what I saw was on the inside of his heart. It came out of his mouth. Man, that's good. Because what God wants from you is for your real heart. He knows it already. He's already been baptized in your sickness and in your sin on the cross. Like he he has seen the depths of your soul and all the wickedness and all the sin. And guess what? When he sees it all, he still loves you more than you can ever know. Loves you enough to die for it. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to bring it out because I'm mad at you. I want you to bring it out so I can heal you. And he says, I'm, at, I'm upset with you boys because you know what you did? You just, you just started giving all this religious jargon that just only helps to make people more religious and keep them bound up in themselves. And they're not able to open up and be real and honest and, and they're not able to be healed. This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees all the time. You know why? Because they were hypocrites. Because on the inside, one thing was going on. And on the outside, something else was going on. And Jesus was saying, how can I ever save you if you you don't let the real you out? It's good, isn't it? See, so in prayer, the first thing you got to do is you got to be honest with God. You got to bring your wounds out into the open. And see, God has done something on Calvary where we don't have to hide anymore. He's saying, come out of hiding. It's a safe place here with me because I love you. In all, of your, in all of your mess. And, and what you'll find is if you'll give me your mess and your sin, I will heal it. And you won't feel my anger. You won't feel my wrath. You will feel my grace. You will feel my love. And I will restore you. Man, this is what God does for us in Jesus. Now, now, now James 5.16, again, it says, the, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
Now, I'm going to move on. Like that, that was the first point because you've, you've got, first you've got to be honest with God and you've got to bring your wounds out into the open. But here, here's the next thing. This is something that the Lord, that the Lord taught me. And, and it's, you know, you ever, you ever felt like praying? Sometimes prayer just feels like a waste of time. You ever felt that way? It just feels like a waste of time. It feels like a monologue. I feel like I, sometimes maybe I'm the only one speaking. God's not speaking. And it just sometimes gets boring, and I'm wondering if anything's working or anything is happening. But the Lord has taught me one thing that helps me in my prayer life, and that's his third point, and that is to use your imagination in prayer. I know you'd be like, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about like a Disney movie or something. He's going to teach us about fantasy or something. Use your imagination. You know, what's that, Jiminy Cricket? Didn't he talk about stuff like that? you got to use your imagination in prayer. Now, 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 biblically speaking, here's what you need to understand. All throughout the Scripture, if you will notice, God speaks to people in visions and he speaks to people in dreams. I mean, it, you just you can't read the Bible and ignore it. It's just over and over and over again. And the word is actually the same because it has to do with the word seeing. But the difference is, you know, a vision is something you see in the day and a dream is something you see in the night. But listen to this, both of them, when you dream at night, you don't actually see it with your physical eyes, do you? No, you see it in your imagination. You see it in your mind. And see, this is what imagination means. Imagination... Is, it has to do with the fact that in my mind, I can see mental images. If I close my eyes, I can see things. And you know that we all think this way, actually. We all think in mental pictures. And like, for example, if I asked you, could you, could you give me a layout of your house right quick? Think about your living room, right? You just saw it in your mind, didn't you? Right? You saw your living room in your mind. I tell you, where you got your, where you got your couch sitting at? Where's that at? You could, you, could show, you could say it because you can see it in your mind. You have it in your imagination. You see it there. So it's this ability to see. Now, church tradition calls this, when we're in prayer, the inner sanctuary. Right? Y'all with me? I know this gets a little bit tough. But what I'm trying to say is, is that God has built into us this ability to communicate with him because he lives on the inside of us. Right? And so when he's communicating with me, 99 times out of 100, he's not communicating with me audibly with something that I naturally hear or communicating with me something that I naturally see, but he's communicating on the inside of me. He's communicating in my heart. He's communicating in my spirit. But also, whenever I pray, I can begin to use my imagination and allow the Holy Spirit to put images in my mind, to put words in my mind, and to activate my imagination to pray. Now, I know I'm, I'm losing a lot of y'all right now. You're looking over here like, this is crazy. But listen, if you hang out with me, I promise you this will, this will help to activate your prayer life, and you'll begin to figure out what, it ta- what, what God is doing. Because here's what I want you to understand, is that if you don't give your imagination to God, Satan will come and steal it from you. Because the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, he said the weapons of our warfare are not natural weapons, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he said, casting down imaginations. What he's saying, and he says, in every thought, what he's saying is, is that this world and Satan is constantly trying to get in your mind so that you will imagine things and see things, and the things that you imagine and the things that you see in your mind's eye will be things that produce fear in you, things that produce shame in you, things that produce sin in you, things that produce unclean thoughts in you, and he will try to so infect your thought life and your imagination that he builds strongholds in your life. 
Now, see, the reason he does that is because he knows that God actually wanted to do the opposite. See, this is why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above. Literally, it says, Be heavenly minded. Let heaven begin to invade your mind. So what Jesus is saying, because think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, he said, I don't even, I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. Now, how did he see his father doing it? It wasn't like God popped up in the flesh and the old bearded father walked over and said, I'm going to open this guy's eyes. He didn't see him physically. He saw him in his prayer life. He saw what the father was doing. He said, I don't, I don't say anything except I hear what my father is saying. And what he was doing was teaching us about what prayer is like. He's saying, when you pray, you've got this inner sanctuary going on, and you need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and the thoughts that are coming to your mind, the people that are coming to your mind. And when you begin to pray, like, for example, if, if I'm praying, somebody will come to my mind and my imagination. I will see that person. I'll see my dad in my mind. And all of a sudden, because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me, I'll just begin to pray over him. If he's sick, I'll pray healing, and I'll, I'll imagine this healing power flowing through his body and I'll just see him with joy on his face right because I know that that is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven so I know I'm praying according to God's will because I'm imagining what God would do if his kingdom came in my dad's life and as I'm seeing this this reinforces my prayer and I'm able to pray that out y'all good with me or y'all like man our pastor has lost his mind this morning yeah so you got to allow the... Psalm 27.4, you say, well, that's not in the Bible, Clay. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Do you think that David was saying, I'm going to go into the sanctuary today and I'm going to behold the beauty of the Lord because the Lord's going to be sitting on the front pew? No. He, what he's saying is that there's a place in worship, there's a place in prayer where all of a sudden my eyes are opened. And I begin to see the beauty of the Lord. And I begin to inquire in His temple. Guess what the new covenant temple is right here. This is the new covenant temple. You begin to inquire in the temple. Right? All of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to reveal Jesus to you. You begin to see things that you've never seen before. And God is using your imagination to begin to reveal Jesus to you. Now in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul starts to talk about a fundamental difference between those who are believers... Or I would even say those who have a prayer life and those who don't have a prayer life. Because believers have a prayer life, right? Non-believers don't, right? They're connected with God. And so he begins to open this up and he, and, he, and he lays out this analogy. And the analogy is he's talking about how Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he says, and Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he had been so in the presence and in the glory of the Lord that when he comes down, he has to put this veil over his face, so they, because the people can't look on his face for the glory of God that's on his face. And what he's saying, he's saying, here's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. A believer, they have the veil removed, but a non-believer still has this veil over their face and they're not able to see. The world is still dictating their imaginations. The world is still dictating their thought lives. They've not learned to see what God is showing them, Right? This is, what he, this is what he's saying. So in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse, verse 12 through 14, here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. He says, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. And then he says, But their minds were blinded. 
Notice he's going to use minds and he's going to use heart on the same level. Their minds. You ever know, has your mind ever been blinded? Yes. Their minds were blinded. For this, for this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying unbelievers, when they read the Old Testament, he's saying there's a veil over their eyes. And they cannot see Jesus in the Old Testament when they read it. They can't see him. Now, Jesus said all Scripture, every single last bit of it, from beginning to end, all Scripture testifies and points to me and is designed to reveal me. But he says their minds were blinded and they were not able to see. But he says when one turns to Christ, all of a sudden in Jesus, when he gives you the Holy Spirit, that veil's removed. Now you have the capacity to see things that only the Holy Spirit can show you. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll show you things to come. He'll take of mine and reveal it to you. He will glorify me and reveal me to you. He'll do all these things in your life. But the question is, is do you have a relationship with him where you've activated him and allowed him to do that? Right? This is a prayer life. Next verse. It says, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, lies over their mind. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Go to the next verse. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What he's saying is, is when the Lord shows up and the Spirit gets activated in your life, all of that religious false self starts crumbling to the ground. All of your shame begins to fade away and disappear. All of your sin begins to be eliminated, and you start to experience this freedom. But it's not just spiritual freedom on the inside. You start to be free enough to begin to see. You, be, you get to start to see things. See, I can remember when I got delivered. I, 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 know, I know my story may be unusual or whatever, but when I got delivered from sin and addiction and all of these things, in that moment, I don't know how to explain it to you. I did not physically see Jesus, but with the eyes of my heart, I saw him. And when I saw him, I knew the truth, and the truth set me free, and he transformed my life. And from that very day on, the Lord started to deal with deep wounds in my heart. I can remember praying one night for, for, for in my bedroom laying in the floor, and my Lord and, and, and God, the Spirit, came and showed me an image of me as a little boy. And oddly enough, I don't even know if I've ever shared this with my dad, but he showed me an image of my dad as a little boy. And he showed both of us, and he, and he showed me the wounds that were in our heart. And he, and he kind of just, it was like a glimpse. I just saw both of our childhoods just kind of, moving and things going on. We had a lot of wounds in our heart, and it produced a lot of things in us, right? It produced anger and, 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 and addiction and certain things in our heart. And it was like the, I literally saw in my mind's eye that Jesus come up to me and smile at me and take me by the hand. I was a little boy with a bowl cut. I mean, I saw it vividly. This is in my mind's eye. And he took me by the hand, and he said, it's time to come out of that now. And he smiled at me. And I, and I felt it. It was vivid. And the Spirit was showing me that Jesus was beginning to lead me out of my old life. And he was leading my dad out of that old life, right? And he was asking us to come with him. Of course, my dad wasn't in there. He didn't see it, but I saw it. But it was a part of my healing because, you know, a lot of what happens is generational in our lives. He doesn't just come to heal one of us. He comes to heal families. And, and, and he showed me that, and he began to bring me out of that. And, and that, that was when I really started to see, okay, God uses, like, something in here. You know, and, and, I, and I started to realize if I pray, if I worship, I can be sent. That's why when we come in here on Sunday morning, we worship. When we pray on these 24-hour prayers, we leave a notebook open to say, and we're literally asking people, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? 
And we're not asking like, did you see anything physically show up on the stage? You know, we're, not, we're asking, what did you see? What did you hear spiritually? What is God saying to you in your inner sanctuary? What's the Holy Spirit painting on the canvas of your mind? What's God saying? What are you hearing? You start to use your imagination in prayer. Now, he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we get free, and all of a sudden, we're able to see. And in verse 18, here's what he says. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But we all, with unveiled face, every single one of us, with unveiled face, Right, He takes the veil off and we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's what he's saying. That veil gets taken off. The Spirit lives on the inside of you. And what he starts to do is you're beholding as in a mirror. You say, well, what's the mirror? The mirror is this, that one day you and I actually will see Jesus face to face. And when we see him face to face, the Bible says we will be like him for we shall see him perfectly without any, without any restrictions. We shall see him as he is and we will be like him but right now this is being mediated and it's being mediated to us through our minds and our inner sanctuary so that when I worship Jesus and when I pray it's like I'm looking in a mirror I'm not seeing it perfectly but God is giving me glimpses of Jesus the radiance of his glory and I see Jesus in my prayer life. And I imagine certain situations. I imagine when people are sick or, or when there's confusion going on in, 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 at the workplace or whatever is going on in my life. When something's going on, I begin to envision that in my mind. And I, and I imagine what would Jesus be like in this situation. I read the Bible and I see Jesus, you know, speaking to the adulterous woman. And I imagine him and I picture that. And the Bible says, as I behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, the Spirit transforms me into the same image. Y'all with me on that? That's a beautiful thing. See, it, because, because now in my mind, what, let me tell you something. What is going on in your mind primarily is what you worship. What you think about, what consumes your thought life, what you imagine is honestly the object of your worship. And if you don't think about Jesus much and you're not imagining him and his word and what he would have to do, then you need to allow that to become, you need to allow him to get in there and become the object of your worship. And then and as you behold him, you're going to sense this transformation. You know, in the same in the same place, in the, same, the, the very next chapter, basically it says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Satan wants to keep you blinded. He wants to keep you from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He wants to keep that veil over your mind. He doesn't want you to see, but it says that God spoke light into the darkness and has shown in our hearts so that we would see the gospel of Jesus Christ and the face and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what God has done. See, uh, the foundational principle for transformation is what we see in our mind. We are transformed as our minds are renewed, as our imaginations are renewed, as we start to see. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm telling you, is you need to become heavenly minded. Think about that. I want you to imagine your family. I want you to imagine your community. I want you to imagine your church as it would be if it was on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to imagine that, and I want you to see that, and then I want you to begin to pray it out and speak it out and declare it out of your mouth. And here's my last point. You guys can come to the music. Number four, the last point is, is that faith is the key ingredient. Faith is the key ingredient. And see, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to activate this inner sanctuary and begin to envision what you're praying for. But see, this is literally what faith is to some degree. Because listen, the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. 
right? We walk by faith and not by sight. What he's saying is, is you don't walk by what you naturally see. You walk by faith, which, which is the fact that you see a greater reality. You see a heavenly reality. You don't see what is naturally happening. You walk by what you see God is revealing to you in the Spirit. You walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 is a verse that gives us the definition of faith, and it says this, Faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, for example, what that means is exactly what I've been saying. That when I have, when I want to see something happen and I'm hoping for something, right? I'm hoping for God to do this. I'm hoping for God to do that. Well, I will start to pray. And as I'm praying, I will envision it in my mind as if it's already done. And as I'm envisioning it in my mind, I'm substantiating what I'm hoping for. And I start to enjoy the fact that even though it's not here yet, I can, I can enjoy it in my mind that it, I know it's going to be here. I see it. I see the way that it's going to be. And it says, that right there is faith. I substantiate the things that I'm hoping for in my mind and I start to pray them out. And then he says, that creates a conviction in me. That the things that I know that I'm praying for, I know they're going to come to pass. And what that does is when I have... See, when, you're not, when you don't have any faith, when you can't see, you don't pray much. And if you're not praying much, I would, I would argue with you it's just because, it's because you're not seeing. You're not seeing what God wants, wants for your life. Because if you could catch a glimpse of what God wants for your life, for your children's lives, for, for this community, and if you could just catch a glimpse of what God wants to do, you wouldn't be able to keep from praying because you would see it and you would have to be speaking it out into, into existence. You would have to come into alignment with it and begin to speak it. In Mark 11, in Mark 11, Jesus says this. Now, he talks about faith. He says, he says this. He says, have the faith of God, Right? And he says, if you speak to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and you don't doubt in you, your heart, but you believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. See, so God is activating your imagination. You're seeing what God wants to do. And all of a sudden, you begin to speak what God wants to do out of your mouth. And you declare that thing with boldness. That's faith. You speak what God is saying. And then he says this about prayer. He says, and whatever things you ask when you pray... Believe you receive them and you will have them. Now, this is not like a, the, kind of the word of faith idea that I just kind of muster up this, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Ooh, I got it. You know, and, and that, that kind of thing where you're just trying to convince yourself that you have it when you really don't have it. That's not what it is. And a lot of times, you know, when we talk about healing, we're like, we, we want to deny. Like, if I, get, if I get sick, I don't deny that I'm sick. I don't say, well, I'm, I'm not sick. <laughs> you know, because that's not faith. Faith is saying, right now, physically, I am sick, but there's a greater reality, and that's the kingdom of God. And my, I am not rooted in the fact that right now, physically, I'm sick. I'm rooted in the fact that by his stripes, I am healed. And even though right now, circumstantially, I may not be aligning with that, ultimately, his truth is greater than my current natural circumstance. And I will stay rooted in God's word until I see what God has promised me come to pass. And whatever things I pray, I'm going to, substa I'm going to think about them in my mind. I'm going to envision them and I'm going to pray them. I'm going to pray them out. And, and, and as I believe that I have them in my mind, see them in my mind, he says, you're going to have them. 
You're going to start to see that come to fruition. Listen, what you become, what you do in your life is ultimately, I'm telling you, it is, it is the, it is the, it is the, it's the fruit of your faith. What you're believing for, what you're seeing, what you see about your future, what you see about this church, what we collectively see about this. This is why Satan is all the time fighting against this because he wants to put a mental image in your mind of your community and of your church and of your family that, hey, boys, you're just heading down. Y'all are going deeper into the abyss. It's going to get worse from here. And God's saying, no, let me have the canvas of your mind. Let me paint a different picture. Let me show you the heavenly reality of what I want to do. And when you see it, then you can pray and believe that you receive those things and you will have them. And that faith will give you the strength to persevere and continue to pray until you see it come to pass. And this, this is kingdom prayer. Can you stand to your feet with me? Listen, this morning, I hope y'all were able to stick with me and understand that. I know some of it was maybe even some things that you've not heard before. But I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to practice this. Now, for some of you, it's not going to work right away because because you probably just you, you struggle with being around people in a public place. But God wants to invite you into the secret place with Him, into the inner sanctuary. And what I'm saying is, is that you need to, if, you, if you're not doing it already, you want to find a secret place with God. If it's a, in your bedroom, if it's walking around outside, you want to find a, a time with God where you can spend some time with Him. Even if it's just 15, 20 minutes a day, you need to get a place with God where you can begin to allow Him to speak to you and you can begin to pray His will. And He can begin to speak to you on, in that inner sanctuary, in that secret place. But right now... I want you just to imagine. I want you to just picture, picture Jesus. Picture him on the cross. Imagine him in your mind. Imagine him saying to you, you know that sin that you're struggling with? This is where it needs to be. Right here with me, not there with you. I took that for you. And I want, I want even the wounds of your past, maybe the Holy Spirit will start to, to bring up some of the wounds, uh, the memories of your past, and, and Jesus will just walk into that memory. And he'll say, you've been allowing that to cause shame and to cause pain in your life for too long now. And I want to walk into that memory with you, and I want to heal that. I want to heal that wound. I want to heal that pain. I want to give you restoration. I want to restore that to you. Just let Jesus walk into that right now.